Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand as you're seated today? Glad you're here today and uh, turn to someone near you and say, I'm so glad you're here. Do that, would you? I'm so glad you're here. While you're doing that also, would you take your Bibles and turn to Second? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that's where we're going to headquarter as we begin today, but we're going to spend a lot of time going back and forth between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians as we start a new series today called Centered. What's at your core? A few weeks ago, actually a few months ago, I was processing through and working through where we're going to be going in our next several months together, and as I was working through this concept, just this idea of what's at the core of my life? What holds me firm when I, when I feel like I'm going to fall down? What, what keeps me steady when everything around me starts to give away? And I want to be able to share with you over these next several weeks together as we just take a look at some of the very aspects and the core of what we believe. Um, before we get into that too much, um, I, I couldn't help, but when I was getting ready for today's message, couldn't help but think, of uh, technology and toys and how toys have changed over the years. Some of you that are sitting in this room, you, uh, you're, a, you're a few years older than me. Um, there's a, a, a few in this room that are quite a bit younger than me. But I'm going to tell you, when I was a kid, there was a toy that came out that technologically was just revolutionary. I thought I'd like to show you the, the commercial for it this morning. Let's go ahead. Let's watch that. Ever watch kids play with Weebles? It's really something. Hey, hey, look at me and Weeble. Me and Weeble go all around. One day, kids pretend they're flying into Weeble Airport. Next day, they play around the Weeble Cottage. Or if it's real nice, they go out to the Weeble Marina and go fishing. Hey, hey, look at me and Weeble. The Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Romperoo makes Weeble toys. How, how many remember that toy? You all remember that? How many remember the commercial like that? Do you know how old you are? <laughs> that commercial is actually when it first came out, 1971. I'm going to do the math for you. That means you're old. That's what it means. That's the math. And uh, some of you don't remember that. Actually, Weebles, uh, I'd say technologically, they were the goofiest little thing. If you've never seen one, they're just little, little wood. Um, looked like an egg with the bottom of it cut off. And somebody who came up with this idea must have been a genius. I'm sure they make them for like three cents a piece, I'm guessing. But I, I went to try to buy one for all of you today, and it would have cost me about $3,000. And I, um, I really love you guys. I just don't love you that much. I, I decided the closest thing I could get to a Weeble would be another childhood uh, toy of mine. I had this as a child. This is the original Bozo punching bag, complete with the nose that squeaks, I'm telling you, this thing is, this was, rough. and then when I was a kid, it seemed much bigger than this, but it's the same concept as a Weeble, because a Weeble, the idea, I hope this does this. Dan, you want to come up here and do this thing? You want to hold it for me? I, I, if you hit that thing, it came up. Good, that's good. Yesterday, I tried it just late there. Uh, it was going to be the worst sermon illustration ever, but um, when I was a kid, there was this idea that, man, you just punch this thing. We had so much fun just hitting this thing over and over again, 
And it really is this idea of the same with the weeble is that, you know, they would wobble. In fact, if I were to read, I, I wish I would have renamed the message. We Christians wobble, right? <laughs> we believers wobble, but we don't stay down. That's kind of the message today. And as we get into 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's a passage that every time I read it makes me think of a weeble. And so if you take your Bibles... Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start here, and then we're going to actually go back into 1 Corinthians as we talk about the aspects of our life that need to be centered for us to be able to stand strong. Now, Paul, Paul's interesting. Paul uses words that other people don't use. He, in fact, sometimes he will create words in the Greek to try to communicate, but a couple of the words that Paul uses is this word stand. You will notice when you get into the book of Philippians, the book of Ephesians, uh, certainly in the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how to stand. And the word he uses for stand, uh, it's actually twofold. It means to stand up under a heavy load. It means to be able to endure a heavy load in life. Or the other word that he uses is the word stand, which means to dig in and take your ground against the enemy. And Paul says in our Christian walk, we're going to be challenged and we need to learn what it is to have the right things at the center of our life that are going to hold us steady and keep us standing when everything around us feels like it's falling apart. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, this is a passage you're probably familiar with. Here's what it says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. The one I always think of is right here. We are struck down, right? We are struck down, but we are, what we are not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Go down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Let's say that together. Ready? Therefore, we do not lose heart. Let's try that one more time. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now it's interesting, when you look at that passage, in fact... Understand, this is now, they, we believe this is actually Paul's at least third communication with the church of Corinth. Um, Paul would often do this where he would send a letter, and then that letter would actually get distributed to all kinds of different churches. And so it might be to the church of the Blue Water area, and then they would take that and they would send it down to Detroit, and it would be in the, in the Detroit area and the Down River area. And so you would have this letter being distributed all over the area. We think this is possibly the third letter that he's written, but we've named it 2 Corinthians because it's only the second one we have. But in the first letter to the church of Corinth, 
he's addressing all kinds of foundational issues in the church. They've got some sin issues in the church. Um, they have some wrong foundations in the church. And it's interesting how they just keep on building right up until this point when it's almost like Paul is saying, everything I've ever told you is what's going to be important as you stay centered in Christ. Now, what's interesting is there are four centers that Paul says kind of form the foundation of a Christian life. Not the video. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Uh, number one, the first center is simply this, is that Paul was centered on a person, Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at this passage, here's what he says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God not us. That's an important statement. The center is to be on him, not on us. He says a little bit later, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Now Paul says it's not wrong to have people in your life and churches in your life, but you need to make sure that the center of your life is on the person of Jesus Christ. I like pastors. I happen to be one. Dan, I like you. You're a pastor. But, but I'm not going to put my hope in Pastor Dan, and I don't want you to put your hope in Pastor Phil, although we do our best. He says you need to make sure you're putting your hope in the right person, that's Jesus Christ. I like Colonial Woods. In fact, I love Colonial Woods. But he says you got to make sure you're not putting your hope in Colonial Woods. I happen to love the missionary church. But he says you got to make sure you're not putting your hope in the missionary church. Your hope has to be in one person, that is, in Jesus Christ. Now, he actually does that in First. Corinthians chapter 1, and he addresses it. If you happen to turn your Bibles back to that passage, or you can look in your notes, here's what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. He says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. I just stopped there and I laughed a little bit. I was shocked to find out there were quarrels in the church. I had no idea. I thought that was kind of funny. You do know at times Christians don't always get along. How many knew that? Raise your hand. Let me ask this. How many of you are Christian? Raise your hand. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Oh, then you know quarrels take place in the body of Christ, right? It happens, right? But, and so it's almost like he has to qualify it. And so here's what he says. He says, uh, what I mean <laughs> is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Cephas is another name for, uh, for Simon Peter. Uh, one of you says, you follow Phil. One of you says, you follow Dan. He says, still another says, I follow Christ. Then he says this, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized and in the name of Paul? I am so thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that none of you can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I baptized some in the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Now, I want you to see what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, listen, understand, it is not about Paul. It is not about Apollos. Apollos was another, uh, another apostle. 
Um, it's not about whether or not you follow. Uh, Peter tended to work more with the Jewish people. Paul tended to work more with the Gentile people. Apollos tended to kind of go in between them. He said, I want you to know, if you focus on an individual other than Christ, it's not that they will fail you, it's that they will always fall short. They will always fall short. Um, a number of years ago, I used to say this all the time, don't watch me, watch Christ. Don't, don't look at me, I'm always going to let you down. And, and I, I actually kind of believe that. A number of years ago, I was challenged by a fellow pastor and leader, and he said, hey, Phil, he said, I, I know you like to say that, but just remember something. Your words mean a lot to people, and, and how you live your life really does matter to people. And I, I took up a different mantle. I, I decided to try to embrace this whole thing that, you know, I'm going to try. I'm going to do my very best to represent Christ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to honor him in every area of my life. I'm going to try to model him in my family. I'm going to try, not that I wasn't before, but I, I really began to embrace it. But I'm just going to tell you, Pastor Phil does his best, but Pastor Phil falls short. I am not always this joyful guy you see up front. Every once in a while, grumpy pastor grows, uh, shows up. Now, not very often. Well, don't ask Tammy. Uh, she's over there going amen and raising her hand, you know. It does. You know, everybody has an off day. We were, we were out to eat uh, a couple of nights ago. I had been away uh, at our shift conference. That's our denominational conference. And I've been away all week. And so Tammy and I, we drove down to St. Clair on Friday evening, and then uh, we decided to go ahead and have dinner together. And so we stopped by one of our restaurants that we really like, and uh, we just had a good time. We were right down on the river, and we were watching the boats and stuff, and, and we were talking about what happened this week, and she was kind of getting me up to date on some things. And uh, we had a waitress, and she's just, just a cute young waitress, and we were acknowledging that she was so friendly to us, and she had like a brace on her leg. And so at the end of it, she came up to us, and I just said, hey, can I ask you a question? I had a bowl of clam chowder, and I'm telling you what, it was incredible. And so I said to her, hey, can I ask you, do you guys make this clam chowder yourself, or do you, put it, do you get it out of a can? And I said, I don't even care. It's the best bowl of clam chowder I have ever had. I've been around. I've eaten it on the West Coast, East Coast. And I'm telling you, this is incredible chowder. And she started laughing at me. And she goes, no, we get asked that a lot. But she said, actually, we make it here. And, and, uh, and so we make, it, we make it ourselves. I go, man, it is incredible. Tell whoever makes it it's incredible. And then she looked at me and she said this, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, are you a pastor? And I don't know if it's because of my build or what, you know, and she said, <laughs> and I said, yes. And she said, are you at Colonial Woods? And I go, yes. And I go, I was friendly, weren't I? I was like, was I good tonight? Was I, I looked at my wife and said, I was really kind, wasn't I? And she started laughing. She goes, yeah, she says, I, my family and I have come to your church and, and I hadn't had a chance to meet you yet and stuff. And so we chatted a little bit. But I was thinking to myself, I'm so glad I was friendly, Phil, that night. I, I was, you know, there are, time, I try, there are times when I'm in the Walmart line and I'm getting frustrated and the Holy Spirit says, hey, just remember, just remember, remember who you're representing. Um, there's sometimes I'm, I'm working across the counter on something. I feel like I, I just remember. Now, that doesn't mean I do it perfect. I do my best. But Paul says, I'm going to tell you something. You, the people, I'm going to do my best, Paul says. Uh, pa Apollos is going to do his best. Uh, your church is going to do their best. Our I love our denomination. But he said, can I tell you something? You better make sure you stay centered on the right person. And that's Jesus Christ. Number two, 
He says, I'm going to stay centered on the right provision. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I love this. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, you could probably argue what the treasure is. But if you go to the previous verse, he says that the, the, the treasure is the glorious knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? And so I would just simply tell you it's the good news of Jesus Christ. And by the way, Paul says the same thing. If you go back to that passage we were studying just a little bit ago where he says there are some quarrels among you, he says this. He says, um, I am so glad that I didn't baptize anyone else uh, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Paul says, I'm not going to focus on just getting you wet. I want to get you transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and his provision. Um, in a couple of months, we're going to start a new series called Show and Tell. And I have been so excited as I've been working and processing through this because what I want to do is I want to give us some practical direction on how to share our faith in our everyday life. And uh, one of the things you have to know is what the gospel is. And it'd be interesting if we run around the room, and there's lots of different ways you can share the gospel, but, but it'd be interesting to hear what you think the gospel of Jesus Christ is. If I were to share it to you in the next minute, minute and a half, I would say something like this. Dan, I'm going to pick on you because you're sitting right there. Hey, Dan, can I give you great news? Jesus really loves you, and God has an incredible plan for your life. But because of our sin, we can't have that relationship. In fact, there's a separation between us and God. But because God loves us so much, he pursued us through his son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was crucified, the Bible says that he took our sins on him and that because his blood was shed, that was a payment for our sins. And then God proved his power by raising him from the dead. And Dan, can I tell you that you can have a relationship with God, your sins can be forgiven, and you can have a relationship with God if you simply trust and believe in the provision that God has made through his son, Jesus Christ. That's about as quick as I can say it, but I'm going to tell you that's the essence of the gospel. That God wants to have a relationship with us. And he's provided for a relationship. And you know what I love about God? Here's what I love about God. He doesn't hold grudges. Something struck me this week that for me just blows me away. I think all of us at one time or another have forgiven someone. We probably have. But that doesn't mean we've wanted them to get close to us. You know what I mean? I mean, I know what it's like. You've forgiven someone, but it's not like you want to invite them to your house. Right? I think we know what that's like. But you know what God does? I was reading in 2 Samuel, the life of David. And David had a son, Absalom, who actually killed one of his own brothers. One of David's other sons. And David, because of the law, David, he didn't want to, but he, he had to put his son to death. Absalom, that's the law, but he pardoned him. And here's what he did. He said, Absalom, I'm not going to carry out a death penalty against you, but here's the deal. You're never allowed to come to my palace again, and you're never allowed to sit at my table again. 
In fact, you'll never be able to see my face again. And there was a woman who came to David and was, was basically pleading on Absalom's behalf. And she says these words, and it so strikes me. She says, like water that falls onto the ground and cannot be restored, so we must all die. But God, God doesn't take life. God desires and devises ways to bring the person who has been banished back to him so that he's no longer estranged. God doesn't just forgive you. God invites you to come near. And I'm going to tell you, we could go through and talk about all our past failures, and I bet you my list would be right up there toward the top. What strikes me is that God invites us, even if we've blown it, to come near to him and have a relationship with him. Can I tell you what? That's incredibly good news. And Paul says, I'm going to stay centered on the person of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to stay centered on the incredible great news of Jesus Christ. Now, I need to make a little caveat, because when you read this passage, you may think baptism's not important. I will, I'm going to say something about that. I want you to understand, nobody is going to go to heaven simply because they were baptized. Are you catching me on this? Paul says, listen, it wasn't the water, it was the work of God in a person's life. He said, hey, but, but, but he's not saying baptism's not important. In fact, we, uh, we did a little class today on baptism. In fact, that's probably just finishing up or had finished up a few minutes ago. And we're going to be having a baptism at the end of the summer. And let me tell you, uh, a few weeks ago, we were invited up to Lexington, and we did a backyard baptism. We had nine people from the Lexington area that God has been working in their life through various ways over the last uh, couple of uh, years. And we got together, and around that little pool, there were about 50 to 60 people who came in. And we had a chance just to simply share the great news of Jesus Christ. We did a baptism, and there were three different families that were a part of that. It was an incredible time. We, we had a hover, little hover thing that was trying to do video and stuff. It crashed, but that's okay. We're not going to go there. We had a great time. It was just an incredible time. Uh, and it was so important. Why? Because when I'm baptized, I'm, I, what I'm saying is I accept what Jesus did for me. When it says that he's washed me white as snow, that my sins are washed away, when I'm baptized, I'm basically saying, yes, I'm accepting what Christ did for me. Um, when I'm baptized, it serves as a testimony to the people around me as well as myself. There was one young man. I loved it. He gave his testimony, and he stood over, and then he came back, and he grabbed the mic again, and he said, hey, I need to come back in. I forgot to say this. And he pointed over at his three friends who were sitting around the pool, and he said, I want you to know why I'm doing this. It was a testimony, and you know, when you make a public statement, it's kind of a way of, a, of people saying, hey, it's okay to hold me accountable. It's okay to hold Pastor Phil accountable, and if I'm grumpy, Pastor, you need to just go ahead and say, hey, grumpy, uh, in a loving way, right? And, and it's okay because it makes others understand that I'm taking a stand for Christ, and I'm different, but what I love about baptism is that when you go down and you plunge into the water, it's like plunging your past. I love that. The old has gone. The new has come. That's behind me. I'm living this direction now. So, but understand, baptism is important, but the gospel is essential. Number three, 
Paul says, I'm going to stay centered on his presence in my life. He's talking about the presence of God in his life, and the presence of God in our life comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take you to a different passage. Um, If you go back just a couple of pages to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21 and 22. Here's what he says. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, which means what? That his spirit has come upon us and he set the seal of ownership on us and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I love this passage. He says God's spirit has come upon us God's Spirit has sealed us, and God's Spirit is in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So when a person comes to Christ, when you've accepted Him as your Lord, the Word of God says that the Spirit of God takes up residence within our lives. Paul says we're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it this way. When Jesus was was about to be betrayed, he said to his disciples in John 14, he says, I'm about to go away, but I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another. The promised Holy Spirit, the comforter or the counselor, the one who comes alongside, will also come upon you. And so what that promise is, is that God says, I am not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. It's not like when you begin your Christian life, I'm going to put you in a boat and I'm going to push you out into a pond and say, good luck. I want you to know that I am never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. It doesn't matter what you go through in life. If you go through a relational loss, if you go through a physical loss, if you get devastating news, if you go through financial crisis, if you go through an economic downturn, if you have people in your life who have made poor choices, I want you to know that there is nothing that you go through that I will not be with you. It's the most powerful promise, I think, in all of Scripture, of God's presence in our life. Tammy, I don't even know if you do this, but Tammy, Tammy does what her mom does, which is put little notes all over our mirrors. And so they're just little verses or little promises. And somewhere in one room I read on a mirror, I don't know which one it was, it simply said this, and when you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. This last week I had a chance to connect with... Um, uh, some leaders from around our denomination. We had our, uh, our um, uh, Missionary Church General Conference or our, our Shift Conference took place. And it's a gathering of all the churches in, uh, in the United States. Now, we have a Missionary Church of Canada. Uh, that's actually, it it's, goes by the Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada. There's, there's a Missionary Church of uh, Malawi and Zambia. We, different countries have different missionary churches. This was the one of the gathering of those in the United States. And we have something like 550 churches, I think, in the United States, maybe 600 now. And around the world, uh, literally, we have so many we, don't, we can't count them because they're expanding so quickly. And so somewhere north of 50,000 churches that are around the world. And, and when I went to the SHIFT conference, we had some of our, our brothers and sisters from other countries that were there. And uh, I've told stories before, but 
man, I looked over and I saw some of my dear friends. There's uh, Charles Kenyon Jewey, who's from uh, Kenya. He's not only the president of the missionary church in Kenya, he actually is the president of the International African Partners. And, and Charles has the distinction of being one of the few Africans who uh, I can borrow their clothes. Does that make sense? Uh, Charles is, um, Tony got it, uh, T- Charles is a, um, he's a husky guy. He's a, he's a husky guy, and so it's, it's not unusual to see guys built like me in the United States, but I'm telling you, in Africa, that's kind of unusual. And uh, Charles is just this big-shouldered and just beaming guy, and I saw him, and I said, Charles, buddy, and I went over to him, and I just gave him a big old hug, and Charles, it's interesting, Charles has, uh, this guy has just been used to the Lord. Literally, literally hundreds of thousands of people have come to Christ and been discipled through his ministry or those that he has uh, influenced. Charles last year shared the story, and I may have shared it with you, of how 10 of his disciples, 10 men, were traveling in a bus and they were pulled over by Somalian uh, terrorists. They had every person get off the bus, and they went one by one. They asked them one question. Are you a Christian? And if they answered yes, they shot them. You may not be aware of this, but I shared it with you last year. We as a congregation helped to pay for 10 funerals for 10 of our brothers who stood for Christ. And in that moment, They were executed for their faith. What you don't know is that their wives and families have now taken up their ministries. And they said, we have to pick up the mantle where our husbands left off. I saw Ezekiel. By the way, when you see Pastor Ann, tell her Ezekiel wanted to make sure. He says, is Pastor Ann here? Make sure she knows I said hello to her. Ezekiel is one of the most gentle spirits. This mighty man of God moved his family from southern Nigeria, which is predominantly Christian, into northern Nigeria, which is predominantly Muslim, went into a Muslim village and relocated there simply because he wants to be able to share Christ into that community. Door to door, when they open the door, they have to make sure one of the other family members goes to the door because if it's a Christian man who opens the door and the Muslims are outside, they will pull them out the door. Now you can argue about it. This is what happens in his life. And they'll execute him right there. And here's Ezekiel, who's a man who simply is a man of God. There's James Shakopa from Malawi. James is a, I love this guy. I call him the coolest guy I've ever met. James just has this cool demeanor. He was an IT guy at a university today. He has started the missionary church in Malawi. We see hundreds, thousands. In fact, if you've ever been to Hope Village, you probably have come around side of James. James, we've partnered all over the country of Malawi. There's Tesh. Tesh is about this tall. This guy weighs about 100, 110 pounds. And yet he is a legend as he goes into Nepal has been beaten by his faith and has shared it just unequivocally as we're seeing disciples being made. And I look at these individuals and I say, their story and our story, they know the presence of the Lord, the same presence of the Lord is promised to us. Paul says, I want to tell you, you're going to go through some challenges, you're going to go through trials, you're going to go through some crazy medical reports, you're going to go through uncertainty, but I'm going to tell you, my presence will always be with you. 
You can be centered in the person of Jesus Christ. You can be centered in the provision of his gospel and the good news. Be centered in his presence. And the last foundation that we're going to focus on today is you can be centered on his promises. Because his promises, in fact, Scripture says that no matter how many promises are given by the Lord in Christ, the answer is always yes. I love that. Here's what he says. He says, um, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul is not trying to diminish what you're going through. He is simply trying to put it in perspective. This morning I was coming out during the first service and um, uh, my, on my desk are various things and, and I I, I looked over, and there sitting on my desk was a laminated copy of my dad's obituary. And the reason it's sitting there is, quite frankly, I don't know what else to do with it. It's, it's there. My, it's kind of a thing in our family. They always, you know, they laminate them. They, they give them to people. And, and I don't know if that's anybody else's tradition, but where I came from, that's kind of a tradition. And so I just kind of keep it there on my desk. And I, and I looked over at it today, and I couldn't help but think about it that when my dad was my age. And he was, um, he was a rock. The guy was strong. Um, hard-working farmer. Just seemed like he never lacked energy. And then my dad passed away when he was about 78, 79. And I couldn't help think to myself, boy, it goes quick. It's a blink. And you can say it's too long or too short, and I know there's various times, but, but here, here's what Paul is trying to help us understand. It's all a blink when you compare it to the perspective of eternity. And so he says, I want you to understand that while it's not that none of this is important, it's just that you need to look at what is the most important. And so Paul says, the thing that keeps me centered is that I know what his promises are. I know what's ahead. This is a blank. But I'm going to focus on what we don't yet see. One of the greatest passages in all the New Testament is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul talks about what awaits us. And our worship team, if they want to go ahead and come on up, they can come on up. We're going to close. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15.50. He says, I declare to you, brothers, and I assume sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead, in, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. 
For the perishable must clothe itself in the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. In other words, he says, this can't go there, right? This can't go. We're going to get spirit bodies, right? Spiritual bodies, pneuma somata. We're going to have a resurrection body. It's going to be recognizable, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be um, bound by the laws of this universe. And he says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Well, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Stay centered. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul says there are going to be things that are going to knock you down. There are going to be things that are going to try to crush you. There are going to be times in your life you've got questions. But he says, I'm going to stay centered. Centered on Jesus Christ. Centered on the gospel. Centered on his presence in my life. And the promise that is still ahead. Father, as we just come to you this morning, I thank you that we can come right before your throne of grace. I, I, I can't help but think of the story. Years ago, William Clay Morrison, he was a missionary. When he came home from Africa after 40 years of service, they pulled into New York Harbor. There was a band there and there were banners there that said, welcome home, and there were people cheering. And at first, William thought it was for him and his wife. Then he realized Teddy Roosevelt was on the same boat. The cheering was for him and the band was for him. And William Clay gives testimony that when he, uh, when he got off the gangplank, there was nobody there to welcome him. It kind of pricked him in his spirit. And he said, you know, there's nobody here to greet me. And I've given my life to the Lord. And Lord, I love what he says. It says that your spirit spoke to him and simply said this, William, you're not home yet. Believer, I know there are some of you that are discouraged today. I know that some of you feel like your knees are going to give out. I know some of you feel like you're under attack. Can I, can I just encourage you? You're not home yet. It's not that this stuff's not important. It's just that it's not all important. And can I just encourage you to cling to the one who has died for your sins, to say firmly clinging to the one who promises to be with you and hold out the hope there is yet a better day. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. Father, encourage us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.